Well, welcome. We are uh, continuing on in our series entitled, What God Says About Me, because we don't know any better. We need Him to tell us, right? Amen? We figured that out yet after the first three weeks, that we need God's perspective on us. As we get started, let me welcome you if this is your first time, or maybe your first time in a little while. We are glad you're here. There's a card in the back of the seat just in front of you. Do us a favor, before you leave, grab that card, fill it out at some point before uh, you leave today, and drop it in the brown wooden box. That's the box at the back of the room. That is our offering box. We put our tithes and offerings there. Make that card your offering to us today. That's all we ask. We'd love just to have a record of your visit, be able to pray for you. There's a place on the back where you can mark if you want more information about our church. If you want to come to the next newcomer's lunch, you can mark on the back of there, and we'll uh, get you information about that as well. Also, if you want any information about our church, whether you're a member or not, we're trying to stockpile a wealth of clear and concise information in the Orange Room, uh, which is becoming uh, every day more and more our, our information room, okay? That's our resource room. So uh, however long you've been here, if you're looking for information on maybe why we do the prayer time uh, now or what the fit class is about on Sunday morning or what, what uh, Elder Bruce's class is doing, all that information we're trying to put in there so that you know where to go to get it. And if you're visiting with us, for sure, visit that room. There'll be somebody there at the end of service to give you whatever information you're looking for, okay? Um, There are a couple announcements in your bulletin. Let me encourage you to get involved in a life group. They have just kicked off, so if you're not involved yet, if you haven't figured out which one you want to go to, there are two on Sunday morning, one for uh, families together, uh, which is interesting, and then there's uh, a couples uh, group. Uh, They had a great turnout this morning. They're dealing with Ephesians uh, and spiritual warfare, and um, uh, that's on Sunday mornings at 9.30, and then there are two men's life groups during the week, one on Mondays and one on Wednesdays, and then opposite weeks, there's a ladies' life group on Mondays and a ladies' life group on Wednesdays, and those flip back and forth so dads and moms can switch who's watching kids and you're not both gone at the same time or two nights in the same week. Does that make sense? All that information's in there. So if you're not in a life group, let me encourage you to be a part of a life group. That's that's how you connect to the body. Listen, we can steer the ship and kind of direct the course of where we're going as a whole. I can cast vision from here. I can teach you the word on a level from here. But I can't from here get into your life, get to know you, each and every one of you, hold you accountable, encourage you in the everyday living of your life, visit you when you're sick. I can't do all that. You need community. You need groups so that you can connect with other people so that you don't just spin off one day and we're all looking around saying, Where, where's old, what's his name? We don't know where he is. Uh, it's because you weren't, you weren't connected at a personal level. Showing up here, that's, that's great. That's kind of the top of the funnel. But as the, as the funnel comes down, we need, to, we need to be more intentional about getting you involved in a, in a smaller group of people. That's where you really connect. That's where you really become a part of the body of Christ, a part of the family. Showing up here, we just can't accomplish that, okay? We can't accomplish that on Sunday morning. From here, we steer the ship, and we teach the word on a broad scale. You get in a group, and you really start seeing how the rubber meets the road. You really start rubbing and grinding against each other and, and understanding how one life can shape another life, okay? And you need that. So let me encourage you to get in those groups. We're in Romans 5. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn there, let me tell you where we are this morning. We're in a text that we've been in for the last couple weeks, but I'm going to look at it with you from a whole other perspective to give you yet another truth that God has for us to believe. 
We may not fully understand it or comprehend it, but we need to believe it and take it by faith and grab hold of it and by faith walk it out in our daily life. This whole series is built on the premise that God knows better than we do about ourselves even. And while it may be true that nobody knows you here on earth better than you know yourself, inside and out, God in heaven who created you, who formed you in your mother's womb, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your motives in a, in a way that you don't even understand. He, he knows the right perspective that we ought to think of ourselves. You remember the first week we said that A.W. Tozer made the comment, it's often quoted, that the most important thing about us is what we believe to be true about God. Whatever comes to your mind, he said, when you think about God, that is very important. That's like a, that's like a linchpin, we would say. It's crucial because if you, get, if you get your picture of God wrong, then everything else falls apart. I came behind that and I said that I believe that if that's the first thing that is the most important thing about us, then the second most, in thing, uh, most important thing about us is what we believe to be true about ourselves. What comes to your mind when you think about yourself? And Satan on both sides of the cross would have us believe lies about ourselves. He's the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. And so before we come to Christ, we spent week one saying that the Bible says that we are sinners. That's what God says about me. And that's a harsh word for our, for our human pride to absorb, but that is the truth about us. And until we understand that bad news, we can't comprehend the good news. Satan would have us believe that we're pretty good people. But that's just not God's perspective of us outside of Christ. The truth is that we're sinners. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark, Scripture would say. And that has to be fixed. And the good news is God has fixed that. And once we are in Christ, we too, we said that, believe it or not, you are loved. And that's not a trite statement. That's not just a, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and so, yippee, God loves me. There is a depth to that that, that has to infiltrate your Monday, your Tuesday, you're walking it out. Because here's what I know. I know that when you get out there, just like myself, um, it becomes hard to believe when we're struggling with our flesh in this old carcass that is yet to be redeemed, while our soul, our spirit has been made alive, we still carry around this dead carcass of a flesh until God redeems us at the end and gives us a whole new body and all that. Until that happens, we still live out of our, our flesh. And we fight this, we fight this spiritual battle against our flesh in the spirit. And so it's hard to believe sometimes for me and I'm, I'm guessing for you as well. When you're out there, when you're in your home, when you're in your car, when you're at work, on those tough days, does he really, does he really love me? And we looked at Romans 5 and we found that even before we came to Christ, God loved us. And that on the cross, he demonstrated his love to us. He, he, he gave us a sample of his love. As if there was yet more and more to come. And we found, of course he loves us, because if he loved us enough while we were yet ungodly, sinners, he calls us helpless, which, which could be also translated, I, I think, uh, in a good way, impotent. That's a tough word. But that's the picture of us as humans without him. That the God who, who, who saw us like that, yet he died for us. He, he, he demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. And so to comprehend the, the depth, the magnitude of his love so that we know no matter what our week looks like, yes, God loves us because he loved us long before 
we were even in Christ. That's why he sent Christ to redeem us, to reconcile us. Paul says, so if he loved you then, how much more now? Now that you, now that you are in Christ, now that you have been reconciled. Do you think he can love you? Even though you have that bad day, even though you stumble, you fall. That was week two, that, that he loves us. No matter what you think, <laughs> on your worst day, the truth is God loves you. We came back last week and we said, how, how does that work out? How does that flesh out? How do, we, how do we theologically, practically, how do we pull it all together to say that, that he can actually do that? We continued in Romans 5 and Paul explained to us the whole picture of there being a first Adam and a last Adam. And we talked about the fact that birth determines our identity. Birth tells us who we are, not performance. We live in a performance-oriented society. Uh, if you think back to high school, middle school, you know this well. Unless you perform well, you're, you're, you're not going to be anything in anyone else's eyes. Unless you're cool enough, unless you've got the right clothes, unless you do the right things, unless you know the right people, unless you have the right friends, unless you make the right team, then you don't measure up. It's all based on how we perform. God doesn't, God doesn't work that way. The gospel doesn't, doesn't work that way. Our salvation is not based upon our performance. Now, we would like to think that, that it has something to do with us being good people, but, it, but the truth is, from God's perspective, is that he declares us saints. That was our truth last week, that I'm a saint. How in the world can that be? He's able to do that because he has, he has killed us off He's not simply improved your life. You were crucified in Christ into the likeness of his death. And then he didn't just resurrect your old dead man. He birthed us anew is what scripture says about us. And now we get a new lineage. We get a new heritage. We get a new history. Your history no longer goes back to the first Adam. Your history goes back to the last Adam who is Christ. And so now when you look back into the heritage of your spirit, you don't, you, you, don't, you don't have Adam as your spiritual father. You have Jesus as your spiritual father. And so when God looks at us, his perspective is, you're a saint. How could I not love you? Uh, this week, I want you to know that uh, the, truth, the truth is that you are also, as a beloved child of God, as a saint in Christ, you are secure. Now, again, that, uh, that seems like something we should know, right? But on Monday, I don't know that it's always, it's always what we believe about ourselves. At some point or another, all of us who are in Christ wonder, when is he going to let me go? When is he going to drop me? When is he going to figure out that I'm, I'm not the person maybe he thought I was? When's he going to figure out that I wasn't worth saving? When's he, when's he going to come to his senses? I mean, if he sees what happened this past week, if he sees what happened in my heart, if he, if he gets a glimpse of the struggle I have right now, could he really hold on? Are we really secure? I, I, I think that what we believe, even as Christians... Um, is that we are on shaky ground with our God. 
I think we, we kind of take, uh, take the stance that, that we're walking on thin ice with God. You get that picture, to walk on thin ice? That if you just make a wrong step, you put your weight too much here or too much there, you're going you're gonna to plunge. Um, what God would have us to know is that we are completely and wholly and fully, without question, secure in Christ. The ground at the cross is not shaky ground. You are not saint beloved child of God, you're not, you're not walking on thin ice. Now that sounds great. But out there in your week, Satan would whisper to you, certainly he's going to let you go at some point. Certainly if you continue to uh, stumble like you have, if he, if he looks into the depths of your heart, Christian, certainly he's going he's to eventually give up on you. I mean, what kind of God would love unconditionally someone like you? Those are the lies that, that, we get, that we get told. Those are the lies that get pushed upon our flesh. It's up to us to claim the truth. And the truth is that whether you understand it completely or not, you are secure. I want to go back to Romans 5. And we're going to go through the same verses with this truth in mind because I want you to understand from Paul's perspective why he believes we are secure. Romans 1 and 2, here's what he does. I don't know if you understand this, but there is an argument. There is a theological uh, argument that unfolds in this letter. And this is a broad stroke summary, okay? In chapters 1 and 2, Paul gets you lost. If you're the reader, by the end of chapter 2, you understand that all have fallen short Jew, Gentile alike, whatever heritage you have, whatever background you have, we're all, we're all condemned before the throne of God, and justly so. In chapters 3 and 4, he doesn't just leave us there with the bad news, he brings the good news to light. And he says, but here is what God has done. In chapters 3 and 4, broadly speaking, he gets you saved. He tells you what it takes, he tells you what God has done to redeem your soul. By the end of chapter 4, he assumes that you are, by now, a believer. And so chapter 5, he's talking to us who are in Christ, and essentially, one of the the major points that I think Paul's trying to get across here when he begins in chapter 5 is that you are, Christian, secure. You're not on shaky ground. You're not on thin ice. Chapter 1 and 2, you had fallen through the ice. Chapter 3 and 4, God reached down and saved you when you were helpless. Now, Christian, understand that he has set your feet on solid ground. Look back, Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Let me give you an illustration to keep in mind of why this idea of security is important. During the initial construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, you've heard of the Golden Gate Bridge? They didn't use any safety devices OSHA wasn't around, I don't think, at that time. 23 men fell to their deaths during just the initial phase of the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge. For the final part of the project, however, they wised up and they put a large net underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. At least 10 men, after the net was in place, fell into that net and they were saved from a certain death. Even more interesting, 
25% more work was accomplished now that the net was in place. That's interesting. Why would that be? How do you accomplish 25% more work now just because there's a net far under you? It's because the worry is gone. The worry is gone. And so now I can work harder. I can walk faster on that beam. I can, I can go about my business. I can, I can be diligent in the work at hand because I don't have to worry. Even if I do fall, guess what? There's, there's security. There's a net that catches me. And so now they, they accomplished more work. Nobody perished and more work got done. In the church, if we have no theology of the security of the believer, then we will spend so much time holding on for dear life to what has been given to us freely that I'm afraid we won't, we won't go about the work God has ordained for us. We can't be diligent. We, we can't walk freely in Christ because we're so nervous that we don't step to the right or to the left, that we don't, that we don't fall from that tightrope of faith that we're walking. We need that security. We need that net. Children need it. You know this if you're a parent. Studies tell us that children need not only love, but they need security to grow up in a healthy manner. They need to know not only do their parents love them, but they need to know that they are in an environment that is secure, that mom's not going anywhere, that dad's not going anywhere, that their, that their home will be there to, tomorrow intact. Now that's a truth that, that transcends just the family. That's a truth that, that is a spiritual truth, that we as God's little children, we need to know that he's not going anywhere. We need to know that our home is secure. Follow Paul's logic here. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, having been, past tense. I'm not going to give you all the details here. If you want a more in-depth, another look at this same passage, we have CDs now. Some of you said, you know what, I could listen to the sermons better on CD. I don't know what a podcast is. I've never heard of iTunes. Give me one of those CD thingies, and I'll put it in my car on my way to work. There are CDs out there for the first three messages, and there will continue to be CDs out there, right? So grab, grab the CDs from the first couple of messages. They're free. They're in the orange room. If you want more detail than what I'm going to give you here, you can grab one of those because we took a different look at the same text. But here we go. Therefore, having been, past tense, justified. And justified means, if you want a simple definition, it means that when God looks at me, it's just as if I had never sinned. When he sees me, he sees me in Christ. He justified me by faith. We have peace now because of that justification. We have peace with God. Not just a peace from God that I can use in my life. I am at peace with God. I'm no longer at odds with Him. There's no longer a breach between our relationship. You ever, you ever been at odds with somebody? And you kind of avoid seeing them? Maybe you had ill words with them. Maybe you owe them money. Maybe something went wrong. Maybe it's a family member and you kind of avoid them at those family functions. Have you had that situation? Paul says that, that we have this uh, cosmic rift between us and God before we come to Christ. But once we have been justified, we now are at peace with God. There's no fear. Everything has been taken care of. The debt has been paid. There's nothing between me and my Creator. I have peace with Him. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we got the peace. It came through Christ. There's no focus on me. There's no focus on me. It's 
what he has done through his son. And now I get peace. Verse 2, through whom also we have obtained an introduction. And an introduction is by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Let me explain what he's doing here in in verses 1 and 2. We have in our legal system what's called double jeopardy. Have you heard of this? Double jeopardy is a rule that says that once you've been tried for a crime, you cannot be tried for that crime again once you've been declared innocent. And so way back when O.J. was on trial and everybody was watching, the whole world was watching, or when the lady down in Florida, the whole world was watching to see what would be the outcome. Once they declared these people that uh, in mass, all right, and, and admittedly we have no idea, you and I, but in mass the country was saying these people must be guilty, right? Once the gavel falls and the judge says, you're innocent, The rule of double jeopardy says that we can't drag you back before the judge and try you again for that same case. Now, that's a a good rule. And it's a great spiritual truth that once the gavel falls, we can't be tried for the same case twice. The gavel, spiritually speaking, has fallen. The judge has declared us innocent because we have been justified in Jesus Christ. How how do we know that our salvation is secure? This is what we're looking for now in Romans 5. Solid ground to stand upon. How do we know we have solid ground? Because once God has declared us justified, innocent, we can't be drugged before the throne of our heavenly judge again. Even if, check this out, even if new evidence comes up against any of these court cases you followed, Even if O.J. would have walked out of court and said, man, I did it. You guys missed this one. You know what? As as crazy as it seems, we we couldn't bring him back in. Now, when you apply that truth to your life, think about this. The gavel has fallen because the price has been paid in Jesus Christ. You have been justified by faith in him. The gavel has fallen. No matter what you do now in the rest of your life, if you are in Christ, and, and, and I'm going to walk cautiously here because there are some of you who are, who are discerning thinkers. Uh, you're thinking, but wait a minute, don't say no matter what you do. Please don't, please don't say that. I'm going to say that because I think that's where Paul wants us to go. And as I said last week, he's going to catch all this when he gets to Romans chapter 6. If, you, if you've got a fear that I'm going too far here for the love of God and the grace of God and your redemption, Let chapter 6 catch you. That's another sermon for another day. But listen, on your Monday, on your Tuesday, when you get back out in the world, sometimes life life is heavy and it's weighty and you stumble and you fall and then you sit and you hang your head, Christian, and you wonder, how could he love me? Surely he's now going to judge me for this. Surely I will not be innocent. Remember, remember, judgment has already fallen in your case. Because you are folded in. You are what Scripture says. You've been grafted into Christ. You are under the judgment that fell on Jesus Christ. And we will not haul him back in because of your future sins. Do you understand the security in that, church? So when you stumble and fall this next week, what I trust will happen is if you fully grasp the depth of your forgiveness, you'll lift yourself up brush yourself off, 
You'll confess your sin before God. You'll claim the forgiveness that has come in Christ. And you'll, you'll weep over that in agreement with God that that's not who I am. And you'll walk in truth of being a new creation in Christ. I trust that if you're in Christ and you grasp the weight of what God has done for you, you're not going to continue in that sin. And that's exactly where Paul goes in Romans chapter 6. But how, how crazy is that? That now that I'm in Christ, no matter what I do, God, no matter, no matter how I trip, no matter how I fall, no matter how I lose my temper over here, for the rest of my life, I'm still safe and secure in you. You're safe. You're secure. Why? Jesus absorbed the weight of the wrath of God on the cross. In him, we were justified. Keep going. In verses uh, 1 and 2, we find that we can't, we, we can't fall into a case of double jeopardy. In verse 2, let me show you something else here. Through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith. That, that word introduction could also be translated access. Think about that picture. You have gained access now into the presence of God. The picture that Paul paints here is that in, in the cross, Jesus introduces us to the Father and he kicks open the door of heaven so that we have now access into the Holy of Holies. Is that security? I think so. We have obtained our introduction or our access into this grace, a grace in which we now stand. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago that when I, when I think about this picture of grace, think about it from a security standpoint. How, how beautiful is this picture that Paul paints in that we stand now in grace. What happens if, if you're standing in, in, in a river knee deep and you trip and fall? What happens? You fall in the water. When Paul says that we are standing in the grace of God, we're knee deep, we're neck deep perhaps in the grace of God. What happens this week when you trip and fall? You fall into the grace of our God. Is that security? I think so. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character. You could translate that proof. And proof, hope. What is he saying here? Why go here? Let me give you further evidence that you are in Christ and you are secure in Christ. Here's what he says. That when, when bad days come, here's what the life of someone who is hidden in Christ looks like. We, we exalt. In tribulation, the Christian, because of his security in Christ, we can rejoice. And that's an odd thing for us to imagine as humans, that, that we could rejoice, that we could exalt in even our worst days. How do we know that we're in Christ? How do we know that we're secure? One of the evidences by New Testament standards is that we as Christians will suffer, and when we suffer, when we're squeezed, what comes out is praise to our God. Exaltations to the glory of our God. Why? Because we know something. We know that when we are squeezed, it forms in us a perseverance, a strength. That word in the Greek means that we can remain under a load. It's the picture of someone carrying a heavy load. So that when the pressure is on, what happens for the Christian is, is that they gain strength through holding that load. And as that load remains, we find that there's proof. 
there's proof that you are in Christ. And proof fuels our confidence. That's what the word hope indicates. That for those of us who are in Christ, even through the worst days, we exalt, we press on. When we're squeezed, what comes all our exaltations, and that we find that we are at the end in Christ, and now we can hope because proof has come out of even, even the worst day. And we find security in that. Keep going. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. A hope does not disappoint. God does not disappoint. He doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We have subjective. All the others are, are probably concrete reasons why we are secure. Let me give you a subjective. This is the most subjective part of the text. Uh, Billy Graham, I remember, used this illustration in the uh, first devotional book I ever got. After I got saved in high school, somebody gave me a little Billy Graham devotional book. It was the first illustration, first Christian illustration I'd ever read. And uh, it's the only one I, I remember from his book. But here's what he said. He said, security in our God looks like this. It looks like a young child who's flying a kite on a cloudy day. You got that picture? And a man walks up to this child and he says, what, what are you doing here, son? And he says, I'm flying a kite. And he looks up, and all he sees is clouds. And he says, well, I don't see your kite. How do, you, how, do you know you're, how do you know you're flying a kite, kind of being a wise guy? And in this young child's mind, he figured it out. He said, well, sir, every now and then, I get a little tug. And I know that my kite is there, even though I can't see it. Billy Graham said, and it, it stuck with me, he said, the love of God proves itself to us, as Paul says here, and that in our hearts, every now and then, we, we get a tug. Every now and then, though, though we, we have faith without sight, even though it's hidden in the clouds, so to speak, we get this tug on our heart. Through the Holy Spirit, we know we have security because God has poured out His love within our hearts through that Spirit. He has lavished His love upon us. Literally, it says it has been Shed abroad. You know what that's a picture of? You know what that picture is the love of God has? To be shed abroad? I, I, I think he's trying to get us to see the love of God in the blood of Christ shed for us. Isn't that good? Hmm. Verse 6. For while we were still helpless, impotent, you could translate, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even die. God doesn't work on our terms. He says that it's rare for someone to give their life for another man. We call those people heroes for a reason. But God, while we were yet helpless, while we were yet, what are the other words he uses for us? Sinners, ungodly, enemies, verse 10. Although we were all of those things in our, in our past life, he died for us at just the right time. That's what God did for us even before we came to him. Then Paul says in verse 10, how much more then, how much more then can a living Christ do for us? If that's what God accomplished, if that's what God demonstrated his love towards us in on the cross, if that was the sample of his love, a dying Jesus on a cross, how much more can we trust that an alive and well at the right hand of the Father, living Jesus can do for us who are now reconciled justified, present tense, in Christ. Where does security in that? The security in that is 
that he loved me while I was yet a sinner. And we think to ourselves, can he love me when I'm now his child? And Paul says, absolutely. You see his logic here. You see the security in his logic. Now, let me unpack this a little more. Because I told, all, I told you all that in our last talk on Romans 5. Security for the believer come, comes at the depth of understanding the gospel. What Paul wants us to know here at the beginning of Romans 5 is this. That you didn't save yourself. You have been saved by a person. You have been saved because of what Jesus has done. Put Ephesians 2 up there for me, correct? Ephesians 2 helps us to understand what faith is. And it helps us to take the focus off of us. And I'll tell you why we need to do that in just a moment. It takes the focus off of us. That's what Paul's doing here in Romans. That's what he's going to do in Ephesians. Here's, here's what he does. He takes the focus off of us and he puts it on God. And that is great news. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now just listen to all the things about us. Okay, keep going. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was who we were. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Now when he says formerly, he means he's talking to Christians, but he's reminding us of where we were. Indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. By, uh, but God, rich in mercy, because of his great love. Whose love? Not us. Paul's not pointing towards us. Because of his great love with which he loved us. That's opposite of us saying, because we love God so much, he poured his love out on us. No. He told us who we were. We're focusing here on God. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made, alive, made us alive. This is what God has done in us, together with Christ. And then he puts this parenthesis in here, just to be clear. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. As if to say, make sure you understand that it had nothing to do with what you did. It was God's grace being poured out. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised us up. He seated us so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of whose grace? His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you get the picture there? If you ever thought your salvation had anything to do with you, you were sorely mistaken. And you say, well, that's that's not good news. I mean, I want to hear. I want to hear that, you know, that God looked down from heaven and he saw me and I was a pretty good guy. Yeah, I messed up here or there, but I'm better than this guy. And I was, you know, I, I, I'm not this kind of person. I've never done this and I've never done that. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I've messed up here or there. I've, I've lied a little bit. I've, stolen, I've, I've done some stuff. But surely when God looked down and he decided to save me, he said, that's a pretty good looking guy right there. I mean, he's worth me dying for. And so I'll, I'll choose to save him and I'll choose to save him and I'll choose to save him. I'll die for these people because they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good people. As if we merited the grace of God. Paul says, that's the furthest thing from the truth. Now, Satan would love for us to believe that somehow we merited this thing. And let me tell you what his hidden agenda is. Here it is. If you somehow have merited your salvation, guess what? You've got to keep that up. So you think there's something 
There's something to hold on to in the fact that maybe you did something that God was so impressed that he loved you. God had no delusions of our grandeur. Uh, think about this. When, when uh, Kimberly married me, she saw this strapping young 18, 19-year-old college football player, uh, this guy here. And then uh, very shortly after we got married, the honeymoon wore off, and she realized, you know, I'm going to get fat, I'm sloppy, I'm going to leave my socks where they're not supposed to be. Uh, the, 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 the illusion that I had created, that I'm, I'm worth loving, woo, right? It goes away. That's why we call it the honeymoon phase. It's a sweet month. It's not going to last forever. If you've been married a little while, you know that the honeymoon ends, and the truth comes out. And we may have painted this great picture, but all of a sudden we realize... Yeah. And you know what the next phase after the honeymoon phase is, by the way? That's what we call the disillusionment phase. We're, we're disillusioned. We had this illusion, and now it's crumbled. And now we've got to decide, are we going to live with our covenant? Are we going to live with our commitment? And this is where the world says, eh, I'm going to bolt. And this is where God says, remember that I loved you knowing that I, I was under no illusion. Listen to me now. God had no illusion about your grandeur. Check this out. He saw everything from beginning to end. Psalm says that he, he knows my every day. He saw it from beginning to end. Yet he loves me still. So here's my point. Um, when, when you trip and you fall uh, this week next week, sometime in the rest of your life, you can rest assured that you are secure. Because not, God is not going to scratch his head and say, I, 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 thought I, was, I thought I was right on with this guy. I, I thought that I, I picked the right guy. But I, I must have been duped. I must have been, I must have been wrong. I mean, look how the guy's turned out. He's fallen all over himself. Uh, God's, not, God's not surprised, Christian when you don't measure up, <laughs> he saw you for who you were, good, bad, and ugly, from the start. While you were yet a sinner, he died for you. Where is the security? The security is in this. Um, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything to earn the grace of God when he gave it to me. And thankfully now, because I had nothing to do with it in the beginning, I'm not tasked with the duty to maintain my salvation. Let me assure you that if you had something to do with it at the start, you've got to continue to have something to do with it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to, you've got to keep working. And if you, if you had something to do with it and you can lose it, you most assuredly will. Uh, I, had a, I, had, I met a friend uh, up in South Carolina a couple days ago, just a, another pastor just to uh, vent and encourage one another and, and, and pray together. And we were at, a, we were at a Applebee's, and our waitress, we got to talking to her about her faith. And uh, my buddy said, you know, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And she got all excited. She was, I think, 17. She got all excited. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And, and uh, well, tell us about this. And, and she started to tell us her story. And uh, within just a, a short few minutes, she had told us how she had been shot. She should have died in a car wreck. Uh, just this whole myriad of, in, in her understanding, God had been trying to get her attention. 
and, and, and she told us about how she got saved at, at this age, and then she got saved again at this age. And then uh, by the time she was done giving us her story, she had been saved like three times. And I just got this feeling of sadness for her. And I asked her, I said, so uh, do you ever mess up anymore? And she said, yeah, yeah. She said, but when I mess up now, I just say, Jesus, please forgive me. And he always does. And it, 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 this, this whole principle just hit me right between the eyes. She had, no, she had no understanding of what God had actually done for her to the point that she was on shaky ground with God now. And she loved Jesus, but she had to run back to him every time because she thought that every time she slipped and fell, every time she messed up, she didn't fall in, into the grace she was standing in. She fell right off the cliff. And I said, how long before you, before, you, before you accumulate enough bad stuff before you have to get saved again? She said, well, I don't really know. Um, church, we, we have to walk in the, in the truth of what God has said, that we are completely, wholly, fully secure. How can we say that? We can say that because your security is not in you. It never has been. And for the rest of your days, it never will be. It's on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And you can trust that he'll never, never let you down. Let me read you a couple verses here as we get ready to close. John 10. Think, think about these words. They come from Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one no one. And my assumption is that that includes ourselves. No one includes me. So listen to what Jesus says. They will never perish. You will never perish. And no one, including you yourself, will snatch you out of the hand of your God. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper when I'm gone. Capital H, Holy Spirit. That He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. That's security. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. And faithful is he, Thessalonians, faithful is he that called you, who also will, you know what it says? <laughs> will do it. He'll do it. He'll finish the work. Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, this might be the best one. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question, isn't it? Can I lose my salvation? Am I secure in the love of God? Paul, when you get to Romans 8, he, just, he finally says, what, what could possibly separate you from the love of the Jesus I've told you about in these first seven chapters? What could possibly do that? And he throws it out as a rhetorical question. 
What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, hard times, will distress, will persecution, will famine, will nakedness, will peril, will sword? No, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And that's how he sums up all that God has done for you. It's his love in Christ. There's a story of, uh, that I, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with, having lived in Florida. It gets hot there. Having lived in Texas, it gets really hot there. It gets really dry. You go through these drought periods. Every now and then you hear of wildfires, etc., and uh, stuff just burns like wildfire. Um, and they give you all kinds of warnings. Don't, don't do anything. Don't, don't light your grill because the whole you know, forest might just go up in smoke. It gets that bad. Uh, I heard a story once of a group of guys out in Texas. In West Texas, it gets really dry, and, and, and it's, it's just like can spontaneously combust. This wildfire broke out on a, on a prairie in West Texas, and there were some guys out. I think they were hunting. And uh, they were surrounded now by this... Uh, wildfire of hundreds and hundreds of acres. And the, uh, the news story tells uh, this ridiculous uh, situation that one of the guys looked at the other guys that were with him and pulls out his lighter. And they look at him like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And he kneels down at their feet and he begins to try and light the ground at their feet. You see, they have no escape because the fire has now engulfed them and it's coming in fast. And you can just picture these guys at the center of this wildfire and it's coming in from every direction and they have no escape. And before this this consuming fire falls upon them, one of these guys gets the bright idea to pull out his lighter and he kneels down at their feet. And the other guys are like, what are you, crazy? And the story goes that he he just ignores them and he goes ahead and he lights the fire. Now, think about what will happen. He lights the fire and it begins to spread. And it spreads away from them and it meets the fire, the consuming fire that's coming in. And now they find themselves standing in an area where the fire has already burned up everything. And they realize pretty quickly, that's a great idea. Why? Because now the ground has been scorched it's not going to get to us. It's not going to reach us. The fire has hit here and it's moved out and it's, pro- it's provided this barrier of security for us. And that's, that's exactly what we find on a hill called Calvary. That at the foot of the cross, the fire of God's justice, the fire of God's judgment, that was rightly to fall on sinners like you and I, fell on one man, Jesus Christ, the Son, the very Son of God, God in the flesh. The fire of God falls on God himself. How crazy, ridiculous, ironic is that? And now it has scorched that ground. Judgment has fallen. And it will never fall again. We, we have no fear of double jeopardy. And now we stand as we cling to the foot of the cross, by faith, having been justified in Jesus Christ, we stand on a ground where the fire of God has already fallen. Are we secure? There's no judgment here. Judgment's already come. Judgment's already fallen. And now we stand in amazement, completely, fully, wholly secure, 
in a grace that even if we trip, we just, we just fall into. With a God who's not just a, a crucified and buried God, but a resurrected God. A God who gives me his heritage, his lineage, who sets me into heavenly places at the right hand of the Father because I'm in him. How much more now can a living God do for me? A God that has been resurrected, victorious over the grave. How much more secure am I now, even when I stumble and fall, that if he loved me like that, no matter what, I am secure. Let's pray. Lord, the, uh, the hymn says that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground, all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness falls, His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, might we, might we fall to our knees on the rock that is Jesus. And if we've thought up to this point that somehow your love was dependent on us, that somehow we earned your love, and that now we have to maintain and keep your love, Father, might we understand the truth that you've always known us completely, fully, holy and yet you loved us still. And much more now that we are in Christ, much more now that we are joint heirs with Jesus, can we trust in the fact that we are loved and secure, that we are saints by your declaration. Justice has been served. The fire of your wrath has fallen. We stand on a ground that is never to be burned again. While you're still praying, think about this. Some of you have heard me use this example before, but just think about this while you're while you're uh, in the Spirit, listening for God to speak through His Spirit. Think about someone you love. Right now, get that name in your mind. Think about someone you love. Does that person love you in return? Think of someone else you love. Do they love you? Probably. Most assuredly. Think about someone else you love. Get three names. Four names. Get ten names if you could. And ask yourself the question, do those people love you? Do they care for you? Do they like you? 
safe money would be that they do. But God doesn't love the way we love. Kimberly married me because she believed there was something in me worth her love. God loves us. The Bible says in a strange way. strange to us. He loves us in a, in a way that is unconditional. What that means is that He loves us not because we love Him. He loves us not based on anything in us. He loves you not based on anything in you. He loves you because of His own character. The basis and the security of God's love for you has nothing to do with you. It's all because of Him. And that is wonderful news. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Stop your striving, church. Stop your striving to earn His love. Rest in His grace. Right now, while you're praying, where you are, you may want to ask God. You may want to confess specific sins in your life. Go ahead. You know what they are. Say, God, I confess this. And to confess means that you simply agree that it's, it's sin. It is what God says it is. It's not right. It's not pleasing to Him. You know what those things are. Tell Him what they are right now. Confess them to Him. And now uh, while, you're, while, you're, while you're speaking to God, in light of all those things that you may have just listed, I want you to thank God for His forgiveness. Say, thank God. Thank you, God, for forgiving me for my short temper. Thank you for forgiving me for my for my lustful mind. Thank you for forgiving me for my bitter spirit. Thank you for forgiving me for my judgment against my brother or sister. Thank Him. Don't, don't ask Him for forgiveness. Thank Him for the forgiveness that was granted to you in Jesus Christ. There's a difference. Claim that forgiveness right now. Not a single thing can separate you from the love of God, not even yourself. (laughs) Not even your sin can separate you from the love of your God. How amazing is that? With that truth in mind, tell Him how much you love Him. Just tell Him how much you love Him. Tell Him how amazed you are. Stay right there. You, you, you keep talking to God. If you have nothing more to say, then just, then just sit with Him. Just sit with Him. Ricky and the ladies are going to sing another song here. You just, you just enjoy a moment with your God because remember, through Jesus, you have peace with Him. There is no rift between you and your God. There is no gap. You enjoy your peace with God.